Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of New York, Connecticut, and Virginia, and one that rocked my local news to its core. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. All the way back in 1995, when texting wasn't a thing and screen names and chat rooms were all the rage, a 20-year-old man from New York named Stephen Platel set his sights on a 15-year-old girl named Alyssa in Texas. Alyssa told the Daily Mail that he groomed her, and before long, she was running away from home to move across the country to be with him and start a new life. By 16, she was pregnant, and in January of 1998, she gave birth to her and Stephen's first child, a daughter they named Denise. Alyssa was instantly in love. Her bond with her daughter had started the second she found out she was pregnant, but Stephen's bond never seemed to click. Stephen's behavior had been a series of red flags since he and Alyssa started dating, but she was young. She was still young, but now that she was a mother, the red flags weren't just a concern for her, they were a concern for her daughter, and they only seemed to escalate with a baby in the picture. Alyssa told the Daily Mail that he would pinch baby Denise until she was black and blue, that he would cover her mouth when she cried, and when that wasn't enough, he started putting her into a cooler, sometimes leaving a blanket in there to prop it open and other times shutting it completely. According to the outlet, Stephen wouldn't let Alyssa get the baby out until she was on the verge of suffocating. When she finally did, Alyssa said that baby Denise would be sweating, bruised, and gasping for air. She told the Daily Mail, I would just scoop her up and shut the bedroom door so he couldn't bother me, and I would rock her back and forth and tell her how sorry I was for the life she was having. Alyssa didn't know what to do about her own situation. She'd cut ties with her family, and it seemed like she'd been completely isolated from everyone but Stephen. And while she didn't know what to do about her own situation, she could do something about baby Denise's. Knowing Stephen hadn't bonded with her, eight months after giving birth, Alyssa made the excruciating but necessary decision to put baby Denise up for adoption. In the blink of an eye, baby Denise became baby Katie and was adopted by a picture-perfect family. Her new parents, Anthony and Kelly, lived a modest life in a trailer in Dover, New York, and held steady jobs. Anthony worked as a corrections officer and was the kind of guy who bought just-because flowers for his wife. Kelly was the kind of mom whose life revolved around momming, and the couple had two biological daughters of their own that Katie fit right in with. Katie was now free from abuse in the middle of a ready-made family, and they were willing to make any and all of her dreams come true. As Katie got older, art became her life, from doodling to sketching to putting together a full portfolio. She used art as a means to understand the world and to try and make a difference. In her digital portfolio, Katie wrote, The number one inspiration to me is emotions, people, animals, even plants. A gentle shove from the wind making a dandelion droop toward the ground makes it seem a little grumpy. A dog laying on its back on a hot summer's day shows contentment. My biggest focus, however, is usually human experiences, although that may just be because I'm around them more often as a fellow human. Expressing beliefs and opinions through a simple cartoon or painting is what I'm mainly interested in. They say writers always look at life as if they were to describe it in full detail a moment later. Well, an artist like myself constantly looks at the world with humor and in short clips, catching short moments so relatable they almost go unnoticed. The emotions people and things show without even thinking about it. That is my inspiration for much of my work. 
Katie had pieces in her portfolio encouraging women to rise above the pressure to fit into societal expectations. She showcased those societal expectations in other pieces in her portfolio, where she photographed a friend looking into the mirror and seeing Barbie as her reflection. In the next photo, the reflection was gone. Katie had found herself in her new life, and her parents fostered and supported everything that was important to her. She made friends in the school band, dressed up for homecoming, and when it was finally time to graduate, decked out her graduation cap with the words, finally out. Her plans were to head straight off to college to pursue a career in digital marketing, but that didn't happen. Katie turned 18 in January of 2016, and to celebrate, her adoptive mom Kelly took her to get her first tattoo. It was a diving helmet that said, be brave, and frankly, it made Kelly one of the coolest moms on the planet. But there was a pull in Katie to know where she came from, or more so, who she came from. She knew she was adopted, but she didn't know anything about who put her up for adoption or why. All she knew was that there was a piece of her that she felt was missing. With that, she tracked down her birth parents' names and set out on Facebook to find them. She found them both. Not only did she find her birth parents, she found out that they were still together, and on top of that, Katie had two younger biological sisters. We know that Alyssa had saved Katie from the abuse of her father, but Alyssa felt trapped. She had been groomed at such a young age, and even though she knew what was going on wasn't healthy, she told the Daily Mail that Stephen would threaten to blow his brains out with a gun and figure out a way to record it and make sure the video got to her if she left. The level of emotional and mental abuse was debilitating, so she stayed. They wound up getting married in 2006 and just one year later had their second little girl, who was followed by their third daughter six years after that. To Alyssa's surprise, Stephen didn't seem to have the same trouble bonding with his two younger girls as he had had with Katie. Katie didn't know about any of the abuse. She didn't know that Stephen's temper was volatile and that, according to the Daily Mail, Alyssa was working multiple jobs to keep the family afloat because Stephen couldn't hold one down. All she saw from the photos on Facebook was a happy little family, a family that looked like her and one she wanted to meet. They set a date, and Katie drove all the way down to Henrico, Virginia to meet her biological family. I want to be clear that Katie loved her adoptive parents and siblings, but there was something different about finding the parents who gave birth to her, something you can't really put a finger on. Her birth family held a biological connection that existed outside of any physical relationship. Even though it had been dormant for almost two decades, it was almost electrifying. Like that friend you can go without talking to for four years and then call and it's like no time has passed, except it was like light years stronger than that. When it came time for their reunion, Alyssa was in awe of the woman Katie had become. She told the Daily Mail that they had so much in common. Katie looked just like Alyssa did at that age. The entire family, Stephen, Alyssa, Katie, and her two younger sisters, who were 6 and 11 at the time, seemed to fit perfectly. It was like they were a puzzle that was missing a piece and Katie completed it. According to WTVR, she immediately started calling Stephen and Alyssa mom and dad. Instead of heading off to college as planned, Katie packed up her things in New York and moved to Virginia and in with the Platels. They lived in an almost 2,000-square-foot split-level house at the end of a cul-de-sac smack dab in the middle of the suburbs. Based on listings still available online, it had a big fenced-in backyard with a playset and hammock in the back, 
One of the girls' rooms had a fan with the blades painted pink and an under-the-sea mural stretching across the entire wall. In another room, the fan was painted in pastel rainbow colors and had little butterflies hanging from it. It was picture perfect, at least on the outside. No one could have known that this reunification would become the nightmare of all nightmares, leaving four people dead. Naturally, with all of this happening so quickly, Katie's adoptive parents were getting a strange vibe. They worried that all of this might have been too much too soon and too good to be true, but they loved their daughter and didn't want to do anything to push her away just in case things didn't work out the way she planned. And it wasn't working out as planned. Once moving in, it became painfully clear that even though Alyssa and Stephen were still together, their marriage was falling apart. Bugspace reports that they were actually in the process of separating, and Alyssa had been sleeping in a separate bedroom for months. Alyssa told CBS News that after years of Stephen's emotional and verbal abuse, she had had enough. She told the Daily Mail that he would punch walls and throw furniture, and told CBS News that he would yell and smash things, sometimes even in front of the kids. That all sounds volatile, but it gets a little darker. She told the Daily Mail that one day, the neighbor's cat got into their garage, and because Stephen didn't like cats, he beat the cat to death with his own hands and maybe some tools, put it into a trash bag, and threw it in the garbage. Concerned that Katie was walking into something she wasn't old enough to understand, Alyssa told CBS News that she pulled Katie aside to let her know about the abuse her father had put her through as a baby and why she had put her up for adoption. But according to Alyssa, Katie didn't seem bothered by it. I don't think anyone can put themselves into Katie's shoes at this point, but Alyssa had done what she felt like she needed to do to protect her, and that was all that she really could do. Katie was legally an adult at that point. As Katie got settled into the Plato home, Stephen, who at one point couldn't muster up a single ounce of love for her, seemed to be captivated. He started dressing nicer and wearing skinny jeans, and CBS News reports that he even shaved his beloved beard and started growing out his hair. For the first time in a long time, Stephen seemed to care about how anyone else felt about him, and it started to get weird. Alyssa told CBS News that about six weeks after Katie moved in, she noticed that Stephen had started sleeping on the floor in her room. Now, he had an entire four-bedroom house to choose from and two other kids whose rooms he wasn't sleeping on the floor of, and it just felt icky. It set off all kinds of heebie-jeebie alarm bells for Alyssa, so when she saw him do it again, she confronted him about it. Apparently, this confrontation pushed Stephen's shitty button, and he told Alyssa to mind her business, grabbed 18-year-old Katie, and stormed out of the house. Things were just getting too fucking weird for Alyssa, and she didn't want her two younger daughters in the middle of whatever was going on. So in November of 2016, she moved out, taking them with her. According to the Daily Mail, Katie decided to stay behind with Stephen. The two co-parented the best they could, Alyssa living her normal life away from the chaos that Stephen had unleashed on her for over 20 years, and Stephen seeing the girls on his scheduled time. For eight months, Alyssa thought the storm was over, but in reality, it had only just begun. On May 23, 2017, CBS 17 reports that Alyssa was doing the mom thing when she came across her 11-year-old daughter's diary. I'd love to say that if I found my child's diary, I would respect their privacy and leave it alone, but I'm not that person. And thankfully, neither was Alyssa. She opened the diary and what she read could make any person's soul leave their body. Bugspace was able to get a copy of the entry and it read as follows. 
She is pregnant and gained weight, and my dad calls her baby my baby. Did he make her pregnant? My dad even says she's my stepmom. WTF. He doesn't even want me to say or call her sister anymore. Katie is my sister. She's probably his wife now, but in nature, she's only my sister. Does she see me as a daughter or a sister? There was no fucking way that while Stephen was having what Alyssa thought was normal visitation with his two younger daughters, that they were living in a reality where their father had been sleeping with and impregnating their older sister. Alyssa called Stephen and literally had to ask her ex-husband if he'd gotten their oldest daughter pregnant. According to CBS News, he said, I thought you knew, we're in love, and told her that they planned to get married. Without a single hesitation, Alyssa called the police and filed protective orders for herself and her daughters. An investigation began, and on May 31st, 2017, CBS7 reports that the Henrico County Child Advocacy Center interviewed the two youngest Plato children. They confirmed that they'd been told that their father was the father of their sister's baby and that they'd been instructed to refer to her as their stepmom. According to the Hartford Current, Stephen had also told the girls not to tell anyone about his and Katie's relationship or their friends would make fun of them. To make this even more skin-crawling, the outlet also states that when the girls were at their dad's house for visitation, they no longer slept in their own rooms. They were made to sleep in the same bed as Stephen and Katie. Not to beat a dead horse here, but Stephen made his three daughters share a bed with him, one of whom he had impregnated. With the investigation into the incestual relationship going full speed ahead, you might think that this slowed things down for them, but it didn't. Stephen wasn't lying when he said they planned on getting married, and on July 20th of 2017, they did just that. According to CBS News, the couple went to Maryland, lied on their marriage application saying they weren't related, and got married at the edge of a lake. Katie uploaded wedding photos where she used Instagram filters and script lettering to adorn the photos with their anniversary date. In the photos, the couple both wore black, Katie wearing a little black dress that accentuated her baby bump. And if you didn't know the story behind the photos, you'd have never known anything was off. Katie looked beautiful, and both her adoptive parents and Stephen's mom were there to witness the event. In the photos, the whole family looks happy, but as we know, pictures can be deceiving. No part of Katie's adoptive parents were okay with any of this situation, but according to CBS News, they didn't think there was anything they could do, so they just supported her. I mean, if they shut her out, would it have stopped her? If they constantly reminded her of how fucked up the situation was, would she have continued to allow them to be a part of her life? Would Steven have allowed them to be a part of her life? Their situation was impossible, so they did the only thing they felt like they could do. Sit and wait until Katie realized the gravity of the situation and be ready and willing to step in and save her, even if that meant smiling for a photo after watching their daughter marry the man they adopted her from. A little more than a month after Stephen and Katie's wedding, Katie gave birth to a beautiful, healthy little boy named Bennett. And again, in pictures, you'd have no idea that anything strange was going on. 
Katie's adoptive parents instantly fell in love with their grandson, and Katie was no different. In a piece by the Daily Mail, you can see a picture of the two of them snuggled up with one another, a photo of baby Bennett with his big baby grin, and another of him wrapped up in a little yellow towel. Regardless of the story that brought Bennett into the world, he was innocent and he was loved. With a new baby in the picture and a full-blown investigation into their relationship, Stephen and Katie packed up and moved across state lines into North Carolina, where they got another house in another cul-de-sac in the suburbs of Wake County. It was at that house, just two months later, that the two were arrested and brought back to Henrico, Virginia. CBS 17 reports that they were both charged with incest with adult, adultery, and contributing to delinquency. Initial reports say that the two were held on a $1 million bond, but it looks like the bonds were amended because one by one the pair bonded out, but the bonds had conditions. Katie couldn't have any contact with Stephen and had to move back to New York with her adoptive parents. Stephen couldn't have any contact with any of his daughters, and baby Bennett was put in the custody of Stephen's mother. It's at this point where this story hit my local news like a ton of bricks, and everyone in the Tri-Cities area was shook. Nothing, and I mean nothing like this, had ever happened around here, and no one can make any sense of it. But apparently, it's kind of a thing. At least a semi-recognized thing. I had to look it up, but it's called genetic sexual attraction, and it's been written about in USA Today, ABC News, and The Guardian, just to name a few. I also found several studies about it online. The whole thing is controversial, but there are numerous cases of long-lost relatives who are reunited later in life and find themselves enthralled with one another. A woman named Julie told ABC News that after being reunited with her father, there were sexual sparks that almost ruined her 10-year marriage. She was clear to say that she didn't have sexual intercourse with her father, but said that their relationship was very inappropriate, noting that there were all of these similarities and that they could finish each other's sentences. Mixing all that with the adrenaline of reunification, she said, you get a concoction that made things very confusing. She writes in depth about what happened in this ABC News article, which I'll link in the highlight for this episode, but she said she felt like she was reverting back to childhood, falling in love and looking at her dad as her hero. She said she felt the need for intimacy and that the lines were so blurry, telling ABC News that she crossed boundaries that were embarrassing, confusing, amazing, and overwhelming. And that's just one of the instances I found online. I was honestly really surprised at how widely it's been documented. But let's get back to the story. Things seemed quiet for a couple of months, and with the time apart, Katie realized, with the help of her adoptive parents, that this wasn't what she wanted out of life. Before all of this, she had all of these big dreams for herself, she was talented, and this didn't have to be it for her. On April 11, 2018, Katie contacted Stephen to tell him it was over. They were done, and this was the first step towards getting her life back. But to Stephen, it was the end of his. That night, Stephen went to his mother's house and picked up baby Bennett. While there were no contact orders in place for everyone else, I couldn't find any mention of anything that regulated who could have contact with Bennett. Stephen told his mom that Katie had just broken up with him and that he was driving the baby up to New York to drop him off with her and that he'd be back. But that wasn't what he did. The following morning, Katie and her adoptive father got up early so he could drive Katie to her adoptive grandmother's house in Connecticut. According to the Hartford Current, she would go there on Tuesdays and Thursdays to clean up and make some extra money. 
The two got into the car and started heading to Grandma's house, having no idea that Stephen had driven over 500 miles and had been watching them from the parking lot across the street. In security footage obtained by CBS 17, you can watch as he waited for them to pass him, having no idea he was even in the state. He pulled out behind them, and when they stopped at a stop sign at the intersection of routes 7 and 55, Stephen drove up beside them, pulled out an AR-15, opened fire, and drove off. The Hartford Current reports that a witness called police, but it was too late. At 8.40 in the morning, law enforcement found both Katie and her adoptive father dead in the truck with multiple gunshot wounds to the head and torso. Around 8.45 a.m., just five minutes after he viciously killed his daughter, estranged wife, mother of his child, and her adoptive father, Stephen called his mom. He told her what he'd done, but he had done so much more than anyone knew. Baby Bennett wasn't in the car with him when he shot and killed Katie and her adoptive father. Stephen had killed him first. He instructed his mother to call the police, and according to the Hartford Current, he told her not to go inside the house, but that he'd left a key under the mat. Stephen's mom did call the police, and just like Stephen had said, inside a bathroom closet in his home, they found the body of baby Bennett. According to the News and Observer, he had died of asphyxiation after having his torso squeezed. No one knows when exactly Baby Bennett was killed, but in the span of 15 minutes, the bodies of three people have been found, all killed at the hands of Stephen Platel. Just 15 minutes after that, they found one more, Stephen himself. At 9.15 a.m., just miles from where he'd shot and killed Katie and her adoptive father, Stephen was found dead in his vehicle from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. I have tried countless times to try and find a way to wrap this episode up with something that describes even a fraction of the destruction Stephen Plato had on the lives of everyone around him, but nothing seems to do it any justice. So with that, I'll leave you with a quote that an officer on the case gave Bug Space. We may never understand the mindset or motives of Stephen Plato, but we do know that his actions have shattered the lives of countless people. I mentioned earlier in this episode that while I was researching this case, I found countless other instances of controversial genetic sexual attraction when reuniting with long-lost relatives. Another case I came across was one of a man named Travis and his daughter, Samantha. When Travis was 18, he and his girlfriend had a baby girl named Samantha. Travis was young and was not ready to be a dad, so instead of sticking around to raise his daughter, Mir reports that he abandoned her and her mother to embark on a new relationship with another woman. As time passed, Samantha's mother moved on, fell in love with the new man, and eventually gave birth to a second daughter, giving Samantha a half-sister. Though Samantha loved her family, she saw her half-sister grow up knowing who her father was and got curious about her own. When she was 17, she asked her mom to track him down, so she did. The two set a date to meet, and the reunification of Samantha and her father Travis seemed to go seamlessly. According to Travis's Facebook, he was in one of those we-say-we're-married kind of relationships, and even posted that he and his wife loved their kids, naming three girls, one of whom was Samantha. 
Samantha and Travis's father-daughter relationship went along normally until it got weird. Within a year or so, Travis's wife's relationship status went from married to in an open relationship, and Travis started posting openly on Facebook about his new relationship, a relationship with Samantha. On one of his several Facebook accounts, you can see his profile picture where he and Samantha are smiling and leaning into one another behind a rebel flag filter. Obviously, this sent icky vibes all over the place, and a tip was sent in to the local police department that the two were having an incestual affair. Needless to say, an investigation ensued. When questioned, All Things Interesting reports that Travis didn't deny the relationship. He just denied believing Samantha was his biological father because he wasn't listed on her birth certificate. Unfortunately for him, that Facebook post where he listed Samantha as his kid didn't age very well. When Samantha was questioned by police, she just flat out denied that there was any sexual relationship. After being interviewed by police, the Daily Star reports that the two illegally got married, finding a bit of a loophole because Travis was not listed on her birth certificate. Travis posted about the wedding online, and in a photo from Mirror, you can see him dressed up in all black, wearing a dark red tie to match Samantha's flowy red dress. The whole I'm not her father thing didn't last long because investigators had run a DNA test. And while heavy reports that Travis posted on Facebook saying that the DNA test showed that he was not the father, the proverbial lie detector test determined that was a lie. The two were arrested on charges of incest. Samantha had initially denied any kind of intimate relationship with her father. But according to All Things Interesting, she changed her story. She told police that she had had an intimate relationship with him and that it had all stemmed from a jealous competition between her and her half-sister on who could have sex with her father first. While that's fucking mind-blowing, I haven't been able to find anything that can confirm nor deny that this competition ever actually existed. The two pled out to lesser charges, and the Daily Star reports that Samantha was sentenced to 22 days in jail, while her dad was sentenced to two years. Travis's attorney said that his client is embarrassed and regrets his actions, while also noting that Travis has a brain injury and said that he's not a high-functioning person. According to Mirror, prior to his release, Travis posted online saying, Good morning, y'all. I know one thing. I can't wait to get home. I got one month and 16 days left. Can't wait, but being in prison again made me realize something this time, and it's that life's too short and I'm tired of wasting my life. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out this episode's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, which is today. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.